And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up. It's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 17 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I am here today with a Giants color analyst and broadcaster, Hunter Pence. Hunter Pence, how are you doing today? Grant, what a title. <laughs> color analyst. I do it one time. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, you were weird. So just for the people who might not be aware, uh, uh, Hunter, you've been filling in a little bit. You filled in for a broadcast as a color analyst, and uh, I am biased uh, at the same time. I think you did a, a heck of a job, like, you know, really, really smooth. You came with the facts. You came with the analysis. You came with the charisma. I was a fan. Grant, thank you so much. It was awesome. I got to call a Giants game and I got to work with Dave Fleming and it's all the things that I love. It made my heart sing. I kind of black out. I just am watching the game and talking <laughs> like I'm talking with a friend. It was all last minute. It was just like a plane flight was missed and they needed someone and I happened to be in the right spot. So I had so much fun. I love talking baseball. Grant, thanks for the kind words. It means the world and it was so much fun. That's funny because I thought to myself when I saw the news, I was like, Gosh, dang, that's a little weird that he didn't mention that, that it didn't come up, that, you know, he's actually calling a game. I was like, wow, that's really cool. And it was because of a missed flight. Like, it was just sort of like, hey, Hunter, what are you doing? Yeah, kind of. Um, Saturday, I was headed to the local card shop to play Magic the Gathering for the pre-release. And my phone just blows up. And I was like with a friend and we had set up to do this thing. And they're like, do you want to do the broadcast tomorrow? Yes, I want to do the broadcast tomorrow. And then it was just kind of a show. It was an early day game. And I was in San Francisco. The Giants were in St. Louis. and Because I actually did a broadcast, a national one, uh, Rangers and A's, right before the All-Star break. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know Mm -hmm. that? I did not. Oh, so this was... This was actually my second one to call and I got to do that one with uh with Fox he's the the Kings play-by-play guy the LA Kings so that was in LA that one kind of got my feet wet and then this last minute one I would have been so frozen if I hadn't done the other one so I kind of had an idea and it was it was really really fun that's really cool that you got to do that and get your feet wet because I mean there's an art to it I mean you you know baseball you know how to talk 
right? But like marrying the two, knowing when to jump in, you know, obviously no matter who you're paired with as a play-by-play guy with the Giants, you're you're lucky because whoever you're paired with is going to be a professional. Uh, but Fleming is, yeah, professional's professional. The guy does the masters. The guy, the guy could uh, announce anything. And so he's there and you're sort of able to learn from him, but there's an art to it, right? Like it's not just like, bah, here's my knowledge. Like it, there's a timing to it. Yeah, and I think he gave me some great advice. And that's the thing that is more concerning. It's like, let's just enjoy the game together. That's kind of my thought as I'm doing this. It's like, if I have something to say that's fun, then like I'll join in. But the game is the story. Let the story tell itself. And, you know, Fleming said, he goes, no one's ever been criticized for speaking too little. And you want to, <laughs> you know, like you get up there and like, you, you know, you want to like come in and do a good job, but the players are doing the job. So you just let the game do the thing. And if you have something and like listen to Flynn, bounce off of him and just, you know, have some fun. So it was, like I said, my heart was singing. I was calling a Giants baseball game. I know these guys. I love these guys. I'm rooting for them. It felt like a dream. That is good advice. That's good advice. I mean, it's, it's just so different when you're in a, a much different role. Uh, I know that, I don't remember what year it was, but one year, you know, I'm a blogger, I'm doing my thing, and I get a call from Fox and they say, hey, would you like to be on a panel show about the MVP? It's Kevin Burkhart, it's Frank Thomas, it's John Morosi. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll be on a panel. And then I get there and then it's like, and action. And like, my heart's just like in my nose. It's like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, I... You know, and that was tough. That was tough. It feels like I could do it better today because I had a ton of TV experience after that. But that first time, man, I was just, I was dying. Yeah, it's just uh, what live TV is live TV. And, uh, you know, honestly, with uh, Papa, the pre and post game show is a lot more intense and you got to be on your toes because you're just kind of like, they kind of give you the blocks, but then it could go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, like you're on a single camera and like you're looking at this camera and then all of a sudden it, you, you just see on like the TVs there everywhere, just your face and you're like looking the wrong direction. So you got to find the camera, got to figure out what we're talking and just be ready to go. So it's just like, you're just like, kind of like, all right, what are they going to ask me? And, and like you have to gather like so much like information and you have no idea what exactly they're going to ask you so the pre and post that's panic that's heart in your throat like oh what am i going to say about this and it's like talk now wait for five minutes papa's doing his thing the olympics the bucks win the da -da 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 -da. what about this pitch from this guy uh what are we going to do about max muncie uh so anyway that was kind of just how like the pre and post is it's just like whammy 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 and, uh, it's it, like i totally know exactly what you're talking about because i did a, a post game uh show for the giants a post post game show with therese vignal and she was more in the role that i'm kind of in here where it's like she's guiding and she's asking the questions and you know it's not like she was coming at me and asking what 16 times 32 was but it was like you know you still don't know what she's gonna ask and it's like react and like oh yeah i do have thoughts about that so it's you gotta stay on your toes yeah it's just completely reactionary and and like they kind of tell you a couple things but then it like completely changes randomly and then all of a sudden you think one thing's coming and you're so prepared for it and then they put something else on the video screen and you're like well i was going to talk about this so there's no preparation <laughs> that and you're like well i guess i'm going to talk about this other thing it's chaos and so anyway but papa is so fun and so funny and he likes to let 
like do just weird skits with me. So some of my favorite things with doing the pre and post with him is like the handshakes. They, we did the Charizard card, making fun of the the Lotus that I had. We got in, inland, uh, but like the teaser for the post game show, we always come up with something weird. So that's been fun. I don't know if you saw any of the teasers. I wish we could pull them up, but this last one, he, we couldn't think of anything. And I was like, why don't you just like give like a calm, cool, collected one? And I'm just going to be like, no, 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 no. And I was just doing all these weird dance moves and like trotting a home run because there were so many homers. So it's fun getting creative. I feel like I'm kind of like SNL-ish. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely, I mean, Greg Papa, he'll roll with the punches, you know. He's done He's done everything, radio shows, he's, he's been the play-by-play guy, so he can go all over and get a little weird. He can get a little funky, right? Oh, man. And that's what makes him so great. Like, I dig that because, you know, it's a local, people kind of know our personality. I'm kind of known as the weirdo, so let that fly. Like, if I'm doing, like, national, I can't be the weirdo. You know, it's not quite as, like, you know, it's not that the cocoon of the Giants nation and, you know, the Bay Area sports that really knows me. So you got to be serious in, in the, you know, when you get outside of this cocoon. But that cocoon was really fun. You told a story about Harrison Bader on, on the telecast. Recount that story uh, for our listeners. It was a cool story. Yeah, so Harrison Bader, uh, you know, just class kid. And I just thought it was a cool story. Like, it asked me to sign a bat. He grew up in the Houston area, and he said, like, he liked to watch me when I was with the Astros. Would you sign a bat? Of course, you know, like, that's super kind. Like, that's awesome. I'll send it over to this kid. The next day on my chair was a handwritten note from him, a thank you, and why it meant so much to him. And that's just so classy. You don't, that's the only person that's ever given me a handwritten thank you. And it's not like I expect that. It's just like, when someone does something that kind and that classy, you just want to, like, I wanted to, it was an opportunity to share that story. And it's like, I'll never forget that. I'm a Harrison Bader fan. That's cool as heck. And it, it, the handwritten part is especially poignant in, in 2021 because, like, handwritten notes, that there is, like, that extra step. When I have to write something longer than a paragraph, it freaking hurts my hand. Like, my hand cramps up. It's like, the muscles are gone, man. Like, anything longer than a paragraph. In the modern era, like, that means something to handwrite a, a thank you note. Yeah, it definitely means something. And it's something that I think it goes a long way and it's important to do. And, you know, he's always going to be the young scribe to me. <laughs> now, when it comes to kind of this this analyst uh, color role, I thought that you, when I'm watching baseball and I'm seeing the different personalities and the players on the field, sometimes you get a sense of like, okay, this guy, you know, this guy might be, his future might be in a broadcast booth at some point down the road. You know, Marvin Bernard didn't surprise me. You start to get a, a sense of that. And I got that sense with you. Was it something that you had had your eye on for a while? Was it something that you only contemplated towards the end of your career? Talk to me about your relationship with like the post career stuff. You know, I, I honestly didn't really know. You know, I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of things that I like to do. And, you know, I, I just kind of follow my heart is kind of the thing I, I say. And even with regards to like what I was going to do once it exact, I wasn't like, oh, I definitely want to be a broadcaster. I was like, let me just like, I have all of this baseball knowledge. I, I've studied the game. I've played the game for a long time. How do I share it? How do I pass it on? And it's like, do you want to coach? Do you want to do this? I kind of prefer talking about it than coaching just because I, at least right now, I want to be home for a little bit because I was traveling for so long. I want to be stationary for a little bit. Also, I like the youth sports. I love the college game. I love the, you know, the perfect game stuff. You know, I have my nephews that are out there. So I kind of just want to be present in a lot of the baseball, not just the major league baseball, even though I love major league baseball, I guess. And, and now 
as I've done the different things and I have the podcast with you, it's amazing. This podcast really means a lot to me. And I'm like, whoa, I really do like talking about baseball. Now it's like, once I got the broadcasting thing, I loved it. I just felt at home. I didn't know, but now I know. I guess it's a, I test it out. And I guess, you know, it's not like you are uh, need to sign a 30 year contract to do whatever it is you're doing right now for the next 30 years. Like, yeah, just try it out. And I, I was wondering about the coaching because I think of a guy like Steven Vogt, it feels like he could do anything he wants. Like he could coach, he could, you know, manage one day. He could be like a great color commentator post get like, you know, there are guys like that coaching like it, it does that i mean you brought it up and you, the travel is is an impediment but is that something maybe in the future for you yeah it's possible you know not just yet you know obviously and you gotta see what opportunities and you know which way life flows you know so it's possible you, you never want to just say absolutely not or absolutely yet well i guess you can say absolutely yes if you're really hungry for it but right now it's a holding pattern yeah yeah and you know you mentioned that the travel was an impediment what's it like to, you know, if you were to do the color stuff, eventually you would have to travel. What's it like to call a game from a, a monitor? Isn't that hard? I mean, that's the only way I know how to do it. I thought it was fun. It's, so. like, yeah. it's like watching a game and, and like, you know, just kind of chatting with your friend and like talking, discussing it. And like, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of storytelling. It's really fun. I really enjoy that. And honestly, there's a difference in like the amount of focus. Like if you're going to take on the coaching job, it's an intense energy to be that invested and, and like working that hard. It's an insane amount of focus and energy and it's nonstop. It's all day, every day. Your mind has to be locked in. When, when you're broadcasting and you're doing this stuff, you're, you're, informa you're just looking for information and looking for the story. You're not attached to outcomes. You're not, there's so much weight to managing and coaching and, and being in that and like completely selling out to win it all. You know, that's, that's a heavy, heavy workload. That's a good point. I mean, because, you know, you had a decade plus major league career where you're doing the grind. You're doing the grind of 162 games every year. Like, it's got to be hard. Like, even when you take one year off, you know, like to go back to that grind, like, am I making too much of it? But it, ju it just feels like 162 games. People don't realize how much that just takes over your life and how that's got to just rewire your brain. But it, it's not just 162 games because there's also like even spring training games. And you, you act like, oh, well, those don't count. They count to all the players that are trying to make the team. They count to fans. They count to who's there. They count to getting ready. And then also there's playoff games. There's the off season. There's So it's not like it's just these 162 games. You are locked in. I would say throughout my career with like a full year goes by, there's maybe – a week and a half, maybe two weeks. I'll, I'll say two solid weeks that I actually relaxed in the whole time I was playing baseball. Every year, I'd get about two weeks that I just like, because like, even in an off day, I'm like working on my swing, thinking about my swing. I might not be going to the field, but I'm grabbing whatever water bottle. I'm like thinking about the pitcher. I'm looking at numbers, watching film, doing mental work, reading books, doing something to get myself better to be the best that I can be. It just doesn't stop. There's like right after the season, I maybe take a week and a half to two weeks. I would say I usually took a week and a half because I wanted to get started sooner than everybody. So like it doesn't stop when you're in, especially with my personality, like I am can't sleep at night if I don't give every last thing I have. And then if you lose, I can wash my hands and, you know, smile in the mirror like I did it and then I'm going to get ready again tomorrow. But if I didn't do that, I couldn't be happy with myself. So that's what you sign up for when you sign up for coaching and getting invested. 
That's a good point. And like when you are relaxing, are you really relaxing or do you have one eye toward when you're not going to relax? Or if you're like me, when I'm relaxing, I'm thinking like, gosh, I'm not relaxing right. I'm not re relaxing enough. I'm not do like I'm stressed about the relaxing. I got that's how my brain works. Are you kind of the same way? I go on vacation. And I'm like, I could be getting better right now. Why am I having fun right now? Like, are, it's also like, do you want to go surfing? What if you get hurt? I want to go surfing. You know, can I really do this? Can I go ziplining? I don't, you know, whatever the case may be it's a broken mindset but it's it's the reality of like trying to be the best in the world at what you're doing did you have no surfing in your contract like did you have like a hey, stay away from this stuff like uh, uh rodeos what about rodeos <laughs> i'm pretty sure that all of that if you get hurt is on you it's a risk you take so like you can do it but if you get hurt you could lose your contract so i never risked it and i learned a very valuable lesson in college like right before i think it was like my junior year I was playing basketball at a YMCA in the Christmas break right before the season's gonna start. And I jump up for a rebound, I land on someone's ankle and I roll my ankle hard. And like the first two weeks I could barely run. I was like, I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to play. And I was like, I will never ever risk it again. It's like, that was a big year. That's the year you're going in to get drafted. And I was like, not. I, I thought I might've knocked myself, it hurt so bad. Oh man, all right, Dad, how's your basketball game? Is it strong? I'm a hustler. I'm not a good, like, like I got horrible <laughs> form on my shot, just like my baseball swing. I can kind of make it, but I don't, like, I don't like really take the shot, but I will freaking play some defense. I will rebound and I'm a bear I'm like the Rodman. I used to think like I was, I would have like the same, like I could hustle. I could play defense. I could D you up. Right. And I used to, that was my identity when I was like, uh, you know, 18, 19. I was, and then I learned the rules about what a charge was and what a block was. And I just realized that all I was doing was blocking the whole time. Like I just, you know, you wouldn't call it on the playground, but I, I just would, you know, shuffle my feet. I'd be moving my feet all the If NBA players could block all the time, they'd be excellent defenders. I don't necessarily know those rules, but I had really good hands for steals too. I was actually growing up always like kind of the point guard. Like I was like, I wasn't tall. So I was like the, the dribble pass guy. So I'm like, I'm like an assist man and a rebounder. Cause then I grew into the bigger body as I got older. I got good hands to like knock the ball away. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's move to trade deadline chatter. Uh, we will have another podcast, uh, I believe, before the trade deadline. So we don't have to like solve everyone's problems right now, but we can start asking ourselves some questions. You as a player, when your team made a deal, like in uh, 2014, you're on, you, you're rolling, the Giants are rolling, and then all of a sudden they bring in Jake Peavy. That would appear like, does it pump up morale? Uh, have you been on teams where the vibe is so good you're not worried about adding at the deadline? Like, talk to me as a player, what does the deadline mean to you when they're bringing players in? You know, it, it means a lot, especially when you're like 
kind of expected, like our Giants, you know, we had won in 2010, we had won in 2012, we just missed 2013, we ended kind of strong, you know, so 2014, you know, we're grinding, we're in that battle, we had like a great, great, amazing first half, and then we just like literally were bottom falling, like we had like one of the worst, I don't remember if it's June or July, it's like ever, it was like we were the best team in the world for like a month at the beginning of the season and stayed at the top, and then we were the absolute worst team in like July, so we needed like something and honestly um the pb trade after i got to talk to everyone a little bit more about it was more for his attitude than what they thought he was going to do because i think he had a four with the red Sox, but he is a firecracker and he is a like kind of a just a attitude energy leader he's an he's just uh he's got these one-liners he's got these stories he's got this attack mentality and he just lights a fire so they got pv because flannery knew what he was and what he was going to do in the on the plane flights and the bus rides and in the clubhouse and it was like this ultra bonus that he ended up pitching absolutely insane and gave us a two he was like our number two you know through that second half you know so i think it's like finding the right fit because you can also kind of mess up the chemistry a little bit, which has happened before, if you mess with a team that is vibing really good. I remember in 2017, uh, I wrote a story about the Astros and their clubhouse culture at the time. I was talking to front office people in the Astros, and they said, listen, this clubhouse is just dynamite. They have, you know, you've got George Springer over here. He's this Connecticut kid, but you also have Guriel. You know, it's like you've got from all over the world, and they're all just here, and they're vibing, and the clubhouse culture is so just tight. And I looked back at what they did that deadline. They did nothing. Like, they got Francisco Liriano who had a five ERA or something like it, it was just a minor move to shore up the, the back back end of the bullpen. And that's all they did. The 2017 Astros, I don't think they wanted to mess with it. I don't think they wanted to mess with it that much. And there might be something to that. How do you know if your team is one that you don't want to mess with? It's going to be kind of like, do you have a big gap? And do you need a little extra energy in the in the clubhouse? Do you need, like, there's a really big hole at, like, let's say, bullpen, or, or, like, we want one more starting pitcher, or whatever the case may be. Like, no matter what, like, if you look at the Tampa Bay Rays right now, and they're one game out of the, of the AL East, and a lot of people are like, oh, go get this hitter, go get this hitter. They don't have but, like, one guy who has an 800 OPS, and it's, like, a low 800 OPS, and they're at 56 and 39. It's pitching, 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 fill your bullpen. Like, what the Cubs did to go get Chapman I don't think there's a way that the Cubs actually win the World Series without Chapman what he came and did and like if you look at like how the Cubs beat us in that year in 2016 we had a three-run lead going into the ninth and like we just like our closer kind of fell off you have to have a closer that can end people's seasons and it has to be a killer and you have to have a bullpen that can literally just shut you down and the Rays they have that they have the pitching that can just like carry the team they play good defense so I think that like if you're looking at it and you have a huge gap like buying the big hitter I don't think like you look at like Machado to the Dodgers that was like this like ultra addition to the ultra team and they didn't win the World Series that year it's filling the bullpen making sure you have the righty lefty matchups the balance and you have someone you have to have a closer that is a killer that can end your season like you hey guess what i'm sending you home all the work you did all year i'm sending you home because it's on the line right now and that's how good the closer has to be so if you're the gm for the 2012 giants are you trading for 100 pence or you mean is that is that what you're telling me like you're you're avoiding 100 pence and marco scudero well the marco scudero i think is brilliant i mean look what marco scudero did 
you know, as, as far as like, you know, like look at the Beltran trade for Wheeler, Wheeler for Beltran. That was, you know, that's a huge prospect. I mean, not saying that they didn't give up a ton for me, but I think, I think the Phillies were kind of low on me for some reason. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have like my best first half. My swing was a little funky and things had gone wrong. I thought, I don't know what happened there. Honestly, I, I was surprised that they traded me because I didn't think that the, we were, the Phillies were ready to like, we were only four games out. I'm not sure what happened. The meetings got weird. So I think the Giants kind of snuck me where I wasn't necessarily, like my swing was kind of off. I think the, like when I, when I talked to, you know, a couple of the people in the front office from the Giants and they were like, we just wanted you because we liked how hard you played. As a professional reactor to trades and a professional, like have an opinion guy, I know what it's like when, you know, the Giants made a trade and it was, oh no, they gave up Tim Alderson for Freddie Sanchez. No, Alderson was going to be our guy for blank. When they made the trade for you, it was like, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good deal. Like, yeah, yeah. I like that. You know, there was no like, oh no, how could you give up Tommy Joe? It was like, no, 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 this, this makes a ton of sense. This makes so the same with Scooter. It was like, yeah, you know, Charlie Culberson might have a nice major league career and he did, but no, it's like you get the guys and the additions and it just, it felt like it was a right fit. Both of you guys. Those two trades were that I was a part of, like the get, getting of Scudero, that you got just a solid, like does everything right. Hasn't won a World Series. He's a veteran. These guys, they're, they're ready for that moment. They're ready to step up. He can hit anybody. You watch his at-bats against the best pitchers in the world and he gives you a good at-bat. It's like, you know, like the Donovan Solano kind of reminds me of that, like just steps up against anyone and he's going to find a barrel. That's what Scudero was. He was elite, get, does everything right guy. And, and then we had, you know, the Giants had the pitching. So it's like, kind of like, I'm going to go back to the Rays. They have guys that play defense, give you solid at-bats. They're not like this, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr., you know, but, and then, and then they pitch and you just play baseball. And that's kind of like what the Giants are doing What the, the Dodgers. If you look at their bullpen, like when they're healthy, it's like, it's a, it, well, their offense is insane too. So <laughs> they know how to hit, but the Mets right now are pitching, pitching, pitching. So you want to look for those scooters. You want to look for those attitude guys, those guys that bring it like the PV, they're going to wake you up a little bit. And that was, that was what really, you know, sends a shockwave. Now, as far as like the big hitter, you know, and even the trade for me, like the Phillies traded for me to take care of left-handed hitters when I was on fire in 2011. And, it, you know, it just didn't quite work out. We weren't able to, to get it done. And, and that team was one of the best teams I was ever a part of. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So you were a part of two trade deadline deals. What's it like? Did it get easier for you in 2012 than it did in 2011 as far as the rumors? I mean, how much is that weighing on you? That's got baseball's hard enough when you don't have trade rumors swirling all around you. How did you deal with that? As a kid, I always had a dream. It's like, I'm going to be, you know, with the same team the whole way. But it's not always in your hands, you know? And, like, I didn't think the Astros were ever going to trade me. I knew we were, like, losing at the time, and I was having a great year. But I guess, like, Drayton McClain, he knew he was going to sell the team. And, you know, like, he was going to stock up. But he was giving me an opportunity to go win when I was in my prime. And they got, like, a whole bunch. They got, like, six players, some really great players, some opportunities for people to blow up. So that was a massive deal. But... I was in the lineup and then Brad Mills comes and he's like, Hey, you're out of the lineup. You're, you're about to be traded 30 minutes before the game. And like, I like literally thought it was all just rumors. And I was like, Whoa. And then 15 minutes later, he's like, the trade didn't go through. You're back in the lineup. And I mean, you want to talk about emotionally wrecked. I was like, what? Uh, so that was interesting. It, it, it definitely had a huge effect on me. Like I was, I felt kind of emotionally betrayed, even though I know they weren't betraying me, they were looking out for me. So now in 2012, you're kind of like, you've been through it a little bit before. Were you expecting it more then, or was it still kind of a, a, another shock? I was very thankful for the Astros. I kind of knew why they did it. It made it all made sense, and it was a great opportunity. It was such a shift in my life to go to Philly, and at that time, they had won a ton of divisions in a row. They were like, it was just nuts to be a Philly in that era, and it was so fun, and I, I met so many amazing baseball minds and learned so much. 2012 with the Phillies, like, Utley and Howard were out the whole first half. You know, we had pitching and we had me and Carlos Ruiz. Ruiz was having an, a, an amazing first half. And it was just kind of us. Like Victorino was there too, Grind and Rollins. So missing Utley and Howard was a big deal. And so we were like four games out and I was like, I was all in. I had been reading, like I was reading this book. I was doing this mental work. I was like just visualizing being a World Series champion, being a World Series champion and, you know, just grinding. I was so set on like, we're going to make this comeback when Utley and Howard come back. So the trade deadline came. We did not think we were sellers with the Phillies. And I think Victorino went first. And we were kind of shocked at that. We were like, okay, well, good luck, Victorino. And he went to L.A. And that was like, whoa, okay. Uh, I guess, like, I, I think it was like, okay, you know, we're going to try to get him back next year or something. Because it was the last year of his contract. And then I know I still had another year. So I was, like, legit, like, there's no way I'm being traded this year. I had no idea and then boom, I get traded to San Francisco. I get called like on the way to the field. 
And so once again, like it, it kind of hurts because you're like so invested with where you are. Like I'm a guy that's like, I'm all in where I'm at. I'm giving everything I have. And then like when you get traded, you're like, it, it was just like this weird shock because it felt like Philly was saying, we can't win a World Series with you. It's what it, like the, the Phillies, it felt like that, but I don't think they meant that. It's just like, as far as like being a player and being just completely locked into, you know, where you are, it, it just, it shocks you a little bit. But then again, you get to the other place. I definitely had dreams and stuff of like being back on the Phillies, like after I left, like I just like, cause I was so invested spiritually and like mentally and emotionally, but then you know, Flannery and, and the Giants all welcomed me so much. And we were like one game out and you're like, wow, look at this whole new opportunity. And like, it's just like one door closes, another opens. And it was one of the great, you know, it was a great blessing to, to get to make the run with the Giants that I got to be a part of there for that seven year period. The weird thing to me about baseball trades is how it's not just like, okay, now we've we've taken this video game character and put him on this roster. Now we get to simulate it and see what happens. Like it affects the rest of your life. Like, it's like, you know, the Giants being interested in you sets up the rest of your life. I think about in the 80s, the Giants made two separate trades and they get a, a pitcher from the the Cubs and, and uh, they go and they trade for Dwayne Kuyper. Now you've got Kruko and Kuyper on the Giants and that sets up the rest of their lives. It sets up like the rest of the organization for decades. And like, now you are like invested. You have, you're in San Francisco, you're doing the post-game stuff, you're doing this stuff. Does it ever blow your mind that it was just like a roster machination and general managers talking that set up the rest of your life? I don't believe that there's coincidences. So like now that I've gotten older and I study things and something very weird that I'll tell you about that's kind of uh, one of those creepy things. So I bought like this painting when I was like in Houston and I didn't even know, I just like saw the painting and it was like, I thought it was so beautiful. And I didn't know that it was like a painting of San Francisco and it was like the little sailboats with the triangles and it was the water and it was, and like I would just like meditate and kind of like look at it. Like once again, I didn't even know it was San Francisco until I started going up and down the Embarcadero and I'm like, this looks a lot like that painting. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I don't know if I like all of these like physical things happened and it was almost like my soul was calling and it was meant to be or destiny. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, yeah, it is wild how that works. And uh, you know, you find a way to like attracts like, and you know, what you put out is what you get back. And I was vibing, you know, everything I could. The deep pain of 2011's loss in the playoffs created the psycho you saw in the dugout that was not willing to go down. It feels like you took to San Francisco pretty quickly. Like all of a sudden, it's not just like this guy, this outfielder that the Giants got from the Phillies. It, now it's this this guy who's uh, scootering to the ballpark every day. And oh, the scooter gets stolen. And it's like this regional tragedy. Like we got to find this guy's scooter. Like how quickly did you like get into that San Francisco? Like, okay, this place is pretty cool. I could see myself hanging out here for a while. It was pretty warm welcome. I'm not going to lie. Like San Francisco fans were in insanely kind to me. I remember, and this was just like so over the top, but I remember when I first got traded, there was a good buzz. We were playing good. I remember walking into a restaurant and it was a pretty intense fan base. It, it, it still is. And I was young, whatever. And like one person just screams out, let's go giants. And then like the whole place stands up and starts applauding and throws up all like all of their cameras. And you know, you want to talk about feeling like a rock star and feeling a warm welcome. And you're just kind of like waving, like, yeah, like, let's get, like, how much do you want to like lay it all on the line for like a place that's going to do that when you show up to a restaurant? And uh, they just were so kind. And like, when we lost, it'd be like, it's all right. We love you. We believe in you. The fans like picked you up so hard in San Francisco. And there was no like, you're paid too much, yo. You stop swinging at this. Stop doing that. It was just like, 
go get them. You can do it. Like uh, it was kind of the vibe and, and just the warmest welcome and the most fun. And they celebrate, uh, you know, whatever quirkiness. So it really allowed, like, I'm kind of a quirky person. It allowed, I felt very normal in San Francisco. They're very welcome and open to being myself. All right, real quick. Let me talk about when you're a player and you're in the dugout, you're talking, you're in the clubhouse, you're talking with the other players on the team. How much are you talking about, like, you know what we really need? You know who I think, like, are you, like, kind of doing trade deadline stuff, like, in the clubhouse as you're chatting? Or is it just all on the field, all business, all play? Like, you're not worried about the roster moves that the GM might make. There's a little bit of discussion of, like, trades that could be, you know, huge. In 2014, I know that, you know, we needed a second baseman. Like, we kept having, like, you know, Sudero got hurt and, like, all of this. In 2014, we really were like, we need a second baseman we could get. Joe Panic emerged, and we needed a second baseman, and one just emerged within our organization. And I'm pretty sure, I think this was done intentionally, Fabian he said, I didn't go and trade for like any big deals because I don't think we're good enough. And he said that to the paper, I think, to piss us off and like to light a fire <laughs> under us. And I thank him for that. And a lot of people were pissed off about it. But I know Sabian, I know how he works. He's very smart and he's very calculated and he doesn't let losing be comfortable. And I love that about him. Losing was not comfortable when Sabian was the GM. And, you know, a lot of people would get kind of upset about it, but he would kick you out of the weight room and like, you know, you know, just like just crazy stuff. It was fun. And it was like, I loved how uncomfortable losing was. Yeah. He seems like a guy where he's not, you have some GMs who just are really comfortable talking with the press and saying, okay, you know, here's my thoughts. And, and they have a real good conversational flow with a lot of the beat writers. And then you got a guy like Sabian who, when he's giving writers his time, it feels like there's an intent there. Like if he is dropping things like that, it's not just off the top of his head. It's kind of like planting that seed. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this isn't a roster worth adding to. Like, I don't feel like he does anything by accident when he was doing that. And I think he loved GMing. And like the stories are that he would, you know, they after games, after wins, losses, they would just be there talking baseball till five in the morning, drinking vodka, you know, just like thinking, thinking, talking, talking. And everything was very calculated. It wasn't like, so this is why he couldn't GM anymore is it was like hard on his health. Cause like once I, like, like I said, with like coaching at the beginning of the show, it's a massive soul, mental, energetic investment to do it right. And to GM and get the most out of it is a massive workload and a massive energy project. And the reason he was as good as he was is because of how much he put into it. What you put out is what you get back and Sabian put everything into it. So with GMs, do they generally follow like a, a similar vibe when it comes to interacting with the players? Or can you have wildly different GM styles in like, you know, you don't ever talk to, you know, GM uh, Smith at all. But, you know, uh, Ruben Amaro, you know, you're hanging out with like stuff like that. Is there just a vibe or are they, are they generally around kind of like coaches? Wildly different. They all are totally different. And yeah, so it was just it was unique throughout my experience, you know, the connection with the different ones. And yeah, they all have kind of different styles. Some of them you don't talk to at all. Some of them you talk to a lot. And, uh, you know, Sabian, you didn't, you didn't talk to very much. He would call you into his office if he had something to approach you with. You're not getting the job done, he'd call you in. Not many GMs really do that. And he'd just be like, look, we expect more out of you. What's it going to take? What, are we, what can we do better so that you can get your, the job done? He's just calling you out and, like, making you accountable. He had accountability. But he also, you knew he cared. It was very hard to earn his trust. But once you did, 
he was going to fight for you, but he was also going to hold you accountable. So that was that was super cool with, that I thought about Sabian. Like John Daniels, obviously, I think is way underrated. I think he's extremely good at what he does. And I know a lot of a lot of times the Rangers fans give him a hard time, but I think he is exceptional. I love Farhan. I think Farhan's a genius. So I've had a lot of fun learning from a lot of them. I think Ed Wade has a very you know kind heart, a little crazy, but he has he has a kind heart. So you know he always seems to like build the the organization up and draft the right people and do all this stuff just in time to get fired and then they get hot and then they they went in the whole thing you know like the Astros he did it with the Phillies he built the Phillies went over to Houston the Houston was terrible built this farm system he leaves the the Astros now then then they win the World Series with his Springer with a lot of his draft picks so I think Wade has a, a very strong eye for who's going to be really good it feels like the GM position when you're stepping, when you're outside of the game, you're just thinking of the, you know, that's the master or string puller, the puppeteer and stuff like that. But you can't just like be the, the stern taskmaster. You can't just rule with an iron fist. It seems like you have to have like a, an ability to connect with people, right? Yeah, there's a balance. There's definitely a balance. Uh, who knows? Everyone has a different style in a different way. It's part of the fun. Like the GM of, of a baseball team is like the ultimate fantasy drafting, you know? And like, it's just like such a, it's an insane job and it's a fun job to watch because they have a big hand in, in your organization's success. And a lot of it though, they don't, it's not like they're all willy nilly and free to just like spend all of the money they want. So like they have to make the most out of what the ownership is giving them. Them. And, you know, look at the, what the Oakland Athletics have been able to do for so long, like, you know, on low budget and the Rays. So whoever's GMing in those those areas are doing like like if you look at like the Dodgers and you have unlimited payroll, but they still are, are taking advantage of it and doing it right. All right. So you uh, Hunter Pence is a GM for five years. What is your record five years after you're hired? It depends. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to I'm going to draft all pitchers. I'm going to get the best pitching. Everything. I'm going to get. I'm going to I'm going to pay a ton for data mining. You know, when I say a ton, I'm more. I'm going to. I want like eight people pumping numbers to get information to my guys. I might not pay as much for you know the offense. I'm going to get speed and defense, and I'm going to get pitching and data. <laughs> all right, you're hired. You can run my team. All right, this has been episode 17 of the base. Baseball Barista, thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. Definitely more trade deadline chatter. Uh, we, we'll know a little bit more then. We'll know like if the Yankees had a hot week, if the Blue Jays had a hot week or a cold week. We'll know. So we'll be back. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk baseball. That's what we do. Thanks so much. I love coffee! <laughs>